Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Like you said, guys, we, we, I'll, I'll be honest, we need help. Um, it, it, takes, it takes about 16 volunteers every week to serve back there. That makes 64 people a month. Um, that's prairie land math for you. I think that's what it is. Um, but hey, get, be a part of that, right? Um, Next Steps comes up. If you haven't gone through Next Steps, get registered, get signed up, and see where you fit in. This morning, we're going to be continuing our, our Red Letter series. We're going to be looking at John chapter 6. And I want to deal with a, a statement that Jesus makes um, in John chapter 6. He, 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 he essentially says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. So I want to be looking at that this morning and just see what the Lord has for us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start out John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 to begin with. John chapter 6 says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6 says, So he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Our text this morning finds us in John chapter 6. It starts out, Jesus, that John records that Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee. He's by the Sea of Galilee. And as as you as you look at, at, at history and you kind of see what that area represents, Galilee is a, it's an outlying region. It's a region outside of Jerusalem, a region that lies out on the fringes. Um, one theologian wrote that Galilean, Galilee was the most pagan of the Jewish provinces. Another one wrote that, that the people that Jesus chose to preach to first, the Galileans, they were looked upon with contempt. Um, they weren't quite Jewish enough. These were not your church folk, all right? This is the crowd that, we're, that Jesus is, is surrounded by. And um, if you remember the story of when, when Peter is, after, after Jesus gets arrested and Peter is following him into the courtyard, what, there's a little girl that, that, that sees him and she points out, hey, wasn't you one of his disciples? And, then, and he says, no, no. He drops a couple of F-bombs. He's like, no, I've never seen the guy. Um, and then, and then somebody else comes up and says, no, 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 you sound like them. You sound like one of those Galileans, right? You're from, you're from the other side of the tracks. You're from the other side of town. And I just, as I was looking at this text and just really trying to, to dive into what's going on here, um, I, I found it interesting that, that Jesus, not only did he love serving around this type of people, right, but he chose, he chose all of his crew from that region too. Right? He didn't go to Jerusalem, and he didn't get a bunch of theologians to follow him. Like, he got some people who knew what it was to live in the dirt, 
He got some people who, who knew what it was to hurt. And, and as I was preparing for this while we were down in Kansas City on a mission trip, which, by the way, if you guys ever have a chance to go on a mission trip with us, get registered, get signed up. It's, a, it's an amazing time. But, um, but we're, so we're ministering at this church. And, I mean, this, this church is, I mean, it's right in the middle of the hood, right? There are, it's got like 40 parking spots. But you walk out there, and there's 250 cars just lining. They run about 250 people through there every morning. And, and, and I couldn't help but think, when, when you walk up there, um, the, uh, of course, everybody's kind of gathered, socializing and everything. But, but right, they're, they're gathered out at the intersection outside the church because about half of them, you know, that's where the smoking section is, right? And, uh, and, and, and the, the, the pastor there told us, he said, hey, when you go in here, I just want to give you a fair warning. These aren't your normal church folk, right? You're going you're gonna to hear some language that probably doesn't sound exactly like what you normally hear. Um, but, but, man, this is, this is the context that Jesus is ministering in. And um, as we ministered there, I, just, I really felt like there was a, there was a surrealness to um, this text that I'm looking at and just who, call, who Jesus has called us to minister to as well. Now, as we walk through the text, there's, I've got a couple of words underlined that I want you to take notice of. Verse 2, but still up there. Verse 2 says that these people had been following Jesus, seeing what the Bible calls signs. Right? They, they saw the signs, and so they were following him around. Uh, signs being instances when Jesus would heal the sick, when he would cast out demons. In, in Matthew's account of this story, Matthew records that Jesus was moved with compassion. So he started teaching them, and eventually, as, as time drew into the, into the late evening hours, he, uh, he tells his disciples, hey, you guys give them something to eat, right? These people are hungry. You guys give them something to eat. So he looks around. He finds a boy that has a Lunchable there, and um, they bring it to Jesus, and Jesus takes this Lunchable, and he turns it into a buffet, which was probably for probably upwards of 15,000 men, women, and children, Right? And by the end of this, John 6, 14 says that when the people saw the sign that Jesus had performed, they began to say, truly, this is the prophet who's come into the world. And then Jesus, realizing that they were about to come and make him king by force, he withdrew to the mountain by himself. Now, I want you to notice in that verse that the, John uses the word sign. He uses the word sign. They saw the sign that he had performed. They see what Jesus does with the, with the two fish and the five loaves of bread. And they make the statement in, in, this, in this text that we just read. Truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. This is the prophet. This is, this is Messiah language. This is them recognizing this is the one whom God has promised to bring to us, to lead us out. Deuteronomy 18 would call him the prophet. And Moses would write and he would say, there's going to be a prophet coming, one like me that God's going to raise up. And this is the person that you're going to listen to. This is the person that you're going to obey. And these people, they see all of these things happen and they say, this must be the prophet. But at the same time, as we're going to see, they, they see the healings, they get their belly full, and this is their conclusion this is my kind of leader, right? I, I, like, I like this kind of leader, right? I've got, we've got, our, our bellies are getting full. We've got free, efficient health care. 
right? Somebody, somebody put this guy in the White House. Uh, we, need, we need a God like that. You got two of them? Um, this is, and this is, this is where they're at. Um, and and, and I, as I thought about that, I was like, man, I, we wouldn't be guilty of that ourselves, would we? Right? We wouldn't be guilty of looking at, at Jesus and, and, and relating to him from the sense of, hey, what can you give me? What's my version of a Savior look like? What does my version of a, of a Messiah look like? Um, I want to get back into the text. It's a little early to, to be fit, making people mad right now. John chapter 6. Let's read just a little bit further and then we'll talk about it. John six twenty six. So Jesus replied, truly, truly, I tell you, it's not because you saw these signs that you're looking for me. He says, but you ate the loaves and you had your fill. You got your bellies full. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Verse 28, so then they inquired and they said, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus replied, this, the work of God is this, believe in the one whom he has sent. So they asked him, well then what sign are you going to perform so that we may see it and believe you? What are you going to do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. So they, 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 they look back on this Old Testament, and, and I'm sure a lot of you know the story, but God brought them out of Egypt, and, and he started to give them supernatural bread that just appeared on the ground every morning. So, so the, the people look at everything that Jesus has already done and say, well, what sign are you going to do? <laughs> like the, the bread that our fathers ate, it came from heaven. Uh, yours came from the Lunchable from Johnny the, in his sack over there. And um, verse 32 said, Truly, truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread at all times. And Jesus answered, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Here's our statement. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. But as I stated, you've seen me, and you do not believe. Now, this is, this is kind of where it gets interesting. Right? You ever notice how Jesus, he doesn't pull any punches? He, 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 said, he says, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs. You're looking for me because you got your bellies full. Right? You, I, I want to zero in on verse 26. Jesus says, essentially, he says, you didn't see the signs. Now, we just read. Before that, verses 2 and 14 of this chapter, where it says, well, they saw the signs. They saw the signs, so I would ask you, well, then what did they see? Jesus said they didn't see the signs. And I think it's this, they saw an event, right? They saw a miracle. They saw something take place. They saw somebody take a meal of fish and chips and feed thousands of people with it, right? They, They saw something, but they missed the main message of the miracle and they continue to follow after Jesus looking for him chasing him down right because they 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 did not want him they wanted they wanted what he could do for them they did not see the signs they were they were going to the sign itself and you know and I wonder if we don't if we don't do the same thing at times when it comes to considering the things that God does I mean we are a church that still believes just like like um courtney spoke here earlier he's still the same yesterday today and forever 
right? He's still healing. He's still setting people free from addictions. He's still, he's still entering into people's relationships. He's still restoring broken marriages. He's still changing hearts. But these instances, like the one that we're looking at this morning, they're, they're signs, right? These are signs to where everything that God does in us as a church should have this intent that it points us to the source, that it always points us back to Jesus. What are signs? Signs are, signs are billboard that tell you where you're going, right? They tell you this is the way to the destination. You follow the signs to where you're going. You don't go to the signs themselves. You just follow where the signs are pointing to you. And as I, as I was working on some of this in Kansas City, I was, I was looking at the compassion that Jesus was showing these people. And I was thinking about all the opportunities that God gives us here, to even just in our community. I mean, we have, we have different serve day events where we go and down to Piggly Wiggly and, and, and hand out food, uh, stocking the shelves at, at the food pantry. And, um, and here's the thing. You, you, might look at, you might look at everything that Jesus did, and you might say, well, well yeah, but that, those are miraculous things. Like, you guys are just going down there and handing out some barbecue sandwiches. But I would submit to you, I would submit to you that, that that is just as great a miracle as what Jesus is doing here in the Texas day. Right? When you, when you take a guy that has been as selfish as this guy standing up here on the stage, and he goes and invests time in serving and loving on other people, I guarantee you I wasn't always acting the same. But there might be some real people out in here that know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I, it was all about me for a while. And, and to see the miracle, there's, there's miracles all in this room, and I'm looking out at them. When God changes a heart and gives them a passion to go and love on people, when you look back on your life and it's like, man, this, now, I can't take credit for that. Right? I didn't manufacture this inside of me. This is, this is the work of God. He's still in the miracle business. Now, as we're, as we're considering these opportunities that God gives us to love on people, here's the deal. All of these, every ministry that we're involved, it, it always has the intent that it should point the people that we're loving back to the source, right? It points people back to that God who has changed my heart, right? And every time that we love on, on, on these broken people and people that are in need, and, um, and the reality is, you don't always get the intended result that you're looking for, right? As I was, as I was looking at this, and, and Jesus, Jesus just feeds all of these people. But at the same time, the, these, these people come right after him, and, it's, and, and, and they don't want him. They want what he has to offer. And, um, and, 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 here's, and here's what I noticed in the text, and here's what the Lord spoke to me in Kansas City. He fed them anyway. He fed them anyway. He fed them anyway. John 6, 64, John records this for us, and you see this all throughout the text of John. It says, however, there are some of you here who don't believe. Now watch this. John says, for Jesus knew from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus knew before he ever went and asked if anybody had any food here. Before he ever went and took that fish and chips, he knew who was in it just for the food, and he fed them anyway. And I think that's what we're called to do. Matter of fact, I know that's what we're called to do. Now, you, you, you look at a, an instance like that, 
you know, for me, I'm working through this, and I'm, you know, and, and, and we're, we're handing out food and stuff on the streets of Kansas City, and I'm thinking, man, how many of these people are just, I mean, they're just here for the food. They're just here for the toiletries and stuff like that, you know. But at the same time, he fed them anyway. Now, it's a lot easier to read that than it is to live it, right? Because a few days later, here about about four or five days ago, there's a there's an individual that has frequented Impact Church, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna change his name for the sake of an, anonymity, but uh, we're gonna call him Gary. Gary. So so Gary is uh this this individual I've been involved with for a while. He's um he's he's he, he battles with demons of meth addiction, right? And um, so about six months ago, he just spins off, takes off, and he's just, he's just doing his own thing. And I uh, hadn't heard from this cat in, in, in six months, right? And, and our office that, we, that I work at is in Sherman, so I drive to Sherman every day. And, and I'm sitting there at 8 o'clock in the morning talking to a friend of mine who works with me, and I'm telling him about a story that involved Mr. Gary. And, um, and about 30 seconds after I got through talking to him, this guy messages me. I haven't heard him in, heard from him in six months, and he messages me out of the blue, and um, he's like, "Man, I, I just felt like God told me to reach out to you." I said, "All right, you know, I mean, this is this is this is what I do, you know. I mean, this I've I've battled with those same demons before. Um, by the grace of God, I, I can say that ten years I've not had to battle with those demons. Amen. Um, so, so Gary is." So, so, so I, I just asked him, I said, I, I feel like this is what the Lord put on, put on my heart. Are you tired yet? Are you, are you tired? Like, are you done yet? You know, this cat's living out of a suitcase or out of a backpack, just kind of hopping from house to house. And um, lo and behold, the guy's in Sherman, of all places. 11.30 that, that day, he calls me, and so I go and pick him up, and I've got a, I've got, it's kind of neat, but I've, I'm blessed to be able to work with people that love Jesus. And um, so I get our, our general manager, our other project manager, and our estimator. Um, one's a pastor, one's a, one's a worship leader, and uh, the other one serves on the board at a transitional house. But we all, so I go and pick up Gary, and they go to Taco Bueno, right? We're going to ambush this dude. And, uh, so, and, and he knows all of them, too. So, uh, so they're all sitting in the taco bueno. I pull up with him. He walks in. He's like, oh, man, you know. And uh, so we sit down, and we start eating, and, and we're just, you know, we're just, we're just hanging out, encouraging him. I'm like, man, this, you know, this guy's got a blue warrant, right? He, he's been skipping out on parole. I mean, just, just, he just, he's out there. He's out there. And, uh, and I just keep encouraging him. I'm, I'm like, man, you can, like, we can leave here right now. And we can drive back, and you can start the road back to freedom. Right? I can take you back, and you, can, and you know that the Lord is, is telling you to go back, to turn yourself in. Let's get clean. Let's get back on the path that the Lord wants you to be on. And he just he kept putting it off. It's, well, it's tomorrow. You know, man, I'll do it tomorrow. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, the Bible says today if you hear his voice, says the Holy Spirit, don't harden your heart. Today if you hear his voice. So... I'm driving him back to the house that, he was, that I picked him up at, and he just says, hey, take me to Paris. I said, all right. All right, we're doing this thing. Um, 
So we take off, and, and, and his dad has about a month left to live. Once he turns himself in, he's not, he's gonna, he, he will miss his dad. So, so I took him by his dad's house for a few minutes. And then, and then he tells me, man, I've, I've got, I need to go to the ER, and I need to get some prescriptions for some things that um, I know that I won't get in the county jail, um, just some, some antibiotics and stuff that he needed. And I said, all right. I said, we'll, we'll do that. So we, we pull up to the ER here in Paris, which, by the way, if you're going to do that, grab you like two sack lunches, maybe a tent or something like that. Um, we're set, we'll get up here about 2 o'clock. You know, it's 5.30, um, which I think was actually pretty, pretty awesome. But 5.30, he goes back there to, to into the exam room. 6.30, they finally look at him, and then he starts texting me. Man, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. And I, and I just keep texting him. I said, man, you, you've got this. You've, you can do it. Um, you know that this is what the Lord wants you to do. And uh, 7.30, I go back there, and he's ghosted me. He's ghosted me. He had, his li- he had his hand on the life but wrapped. And he said, no. You don't always get the intended result that you want. But Jesus says, love them anyway. And, and I'll be honest with you, I was mad. Okay? I was pissed. Okay? All right? I'm, 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 I've, I've invested eight hours in this guy. Um... And then I thought of the text. He said, love them anyway. We don't always know if that person's going to come to Jesus through our serving. We don't, know, we don't always know if they're in it just for the food. And we know that we can't do anything about whether anyone else that we're loving are going to see the signs. Are they going to see the sign? Are they going to see the source of our love and compassion that is compelling me to do this? Are they just here for the food? Now, I would, I would turn that around and say, well, what about us? What about you and me? Am I just here for the food? Somebody say, I'm just here for the food. No, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. But are, but are we? But are we? Am I just here? Am, am I seeing the signs? Before we move on, I want to I look back at something in the text that we read earlier. Verse 30. They asked him, they said, what sign will you perform so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our fathers ate men in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And when I read that, I'm like, are you serious? Like, he just took, he just took this and turned it into that, and you're going to say, well, you're going to have to give us a sign then. You're going you're to have to do something big. And, and this is what I got out of that. Like, if you're only here for the food there's a good chance you're going to miss the miracle that's right in front of you. There's a good chance that you're going to miss the miracle right in front of you. In recovery, we have a, an adage that we say, stick around until the miracle happens. Stick around until the miracle happens. As we move in, I, I want to move from, from here into the actual looking at the bread of life statement. But as we do that, I think we need to understand that when Jesus brings this teaching that he's the bread of life, like, this is the context he brings it to. He brings this teaching in response to a people whose heart is solely set on a Savior who fills their be- bellies and makes their uncomfortable situations go away. That's the people he's addressing when he says, I'm the bread of life. 
as I thought about this, this, this guys, this, this, is a, this is a problem. This is a problem, especially on this side of the pond, right? There's a Christianity that's being passed off that's self-seeking, it's self-preserving, it's self-promoting. It's all about self. And just like the people at the end of this chapter, when all the food's gone and all the miracles stop, and there's nothing left but the Savior standing there, he invites them to take up their cross and suffer with him. And they say, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'll take your food. I'll take your health care. But I don't want any sacrifice. I don't want any sacrifice. If I, were, if I were to sum up this lesson this morning, it would be this. And I think I've got this on the screen. Jesus didn't primarily, didn't, Jesus didn't come primarily to give bread, but to be bread. He didn't come primarily to give bread, but to be bread. Now, I use the word primarily because I think it's obvious that, that events like miracles, like this, and what, and what we see, these are, these are a huge part of, of Jesus' ministry. Aaron, Aaron preached on miracles here a, a few weeks ago, and, um, and I believe that this text right here, t- it gives us kind of an overarching principle behind all miracles, behind everything that God does. Right, these are all things that are designed to point us towards Christ, to point us to Him, to our need for Him. So for the rest of the, of the morning, I want to take the statement, I am the bread of life. And I want to break it down into three parts. Three parts. The first part being I am. I am. If you're familiar with the story of the Exodus, um, you, you, you remember the part where, where, where Charlton Heston is like walking up the mountain, right? You know, and he's... Brown, <laughs> so one person here, <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go, right, he goes up there brown-headed, and then he comes back down looking like the guy on uh, a touch of gray commercial, you know, he's got gray hair after that, no, so, so God is, so Moses is going up the mountain, and, he's, and he meets God up there in this, in this bush that's burning, and it's not being consumed, and this is the, the exchange that takes place in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, God says, come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but God said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people and I say to them, the God of your father sent me to you and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you. God says he's going to send Moses. Moses replies, well, who am I? And God says, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter because I'm with you. And so Moses says to God, well, then who are you? And he says, I am. I am. I am self-existent. I am eternal, I am all-powerful, I don't need anything, and all things need me. That's, that's what I am means. And that's the significance of the statement that Jesus makes when he says, I am the bread of life. I am. In our text, we're in John chapter 6 this morning, but two chapters later, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with some of the religious, some of the church folk, the religious people there in, in, in any and he has, this, he has this conversation where, and, and I'm just going to basically summarize it. We're not going to read the whole thing, but, but Jesus basically says, if you're practicing sin, then you're a slave to sin. 
I can set you free, but you won't listen because you're a child of Satan. And how many of you know that when you call a church, a church folk a child of Satan, they're going to get mad at you, right? John chapter 8, verse 56. Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. In 57, so the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? In 58, John, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they did what all church folk did, and they picked up rocks and they threw them at him. Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't just claim to know Abraham. He didn't just claim to be on the scene at some point in there. He said, before Abraham ever was, I am, I've always been, and I always will be. Paul writes of him in this sense in Colossians 1.16, For by him, by who? By Christ, by him, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him, and they were created for him. The writer of Hebrews echoes this by saying, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the I am. This is who Christ is saying. Now, now church, we need a Savior like that. That's the type of Savior that we need. A, a Jesus who is bigger than any problem that we're against. A Jesus who can say that I am the solution to whatever ordeal that you're walking through right now. A Jesus that will say, I am going to walk with you I will be with you through this. Now, but here's the other part of that. These people are hearing that from a man. These people are hearing that from a, an individual who has been showing compassion on them, giving them bread to eat, an individual who was sweating, an individual who didn't have any Old Spice and probably needed it, an individual who didn't have any toothpaste, this is flesh and blood walking among them whose wind-chapped lips and a heart that's bigger than our cosmos. This is the I am who is inviting us to come eat from the bread of life. See, we need, we need the I am, right? But we need to hear it. There are times that we need to hear it from, from lips that have been chapped by the wind. I need, to, I need to hear it from a, from a Savior who knows what it's like to lose a loved one. I need a, high, I need a high priest who knows what it's like to hurt. I need an I am who knows what it's like to live through the hardness of life here on the earth. Eugene Peters, the translator of the message version, he captures this in Hebrews 4. He says, now, now that we know what we have, Jesus, this, high, this great high priest with ready access to God. Let's not let it slip through our fingers. And get this, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness. He's been through testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. Take the mercy and accept the help. This is the message that I believe is being conveyed in the I am. Right? That he's fully God. And he's fully able to handle anything that you can throw at him. 
And he is a man who fully understands exactly where you are and whatever that looks like. He says, I am the bread. Let's look at the bread for a minute. I am the bread. This, this statement, the bread, doesn't quite have the impact on us here 20 centuries later than it did on them, right? I, I would imagine a, a 21st century response to him would have been, okay, well, are you gluten-free? Or are you, are you white or wheat, um, potato, Hawaiian? Bread, bread for these people was a lot different. Like, they used the word bread just interchangeably with food. Right? If you had bread, you had food. If you had food, you had bread. Right? What, what's he saying? He's saying, I, I, I am the basic essentials. I am the staples of what you need for life. For life. Bread has played a central role throughout Scripture. Jesus was born in where? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Two Hebrew words. Beit means, means house. Lechem means bread. House of bread. The Savior was born and entered the world from the house of bread. The first time that a priest ever is mentioned in the Bible, it's a priest by the name of Melchizedek, it appears in Genesis 13, and the first thing he does is he offers bread. The priest shows up and he has bread with him. Right? When, when the people of um, Israel are coming out of, out of Egypt, God instructs them on how to worship him. And he instructs them on how to build this, this mobile church in a box, if you will. How many of you are glad that we're not still doing church in a box here? <laughs> Some of you were here through that. That was rough. So they're doing church in a box for 40 years, right? We only did it for five. And it, within this little tent that he told them to make to worship him, you go into the first area, and there's, and there's three things set up. There's the, there's the altar of incense is right in the front, and there's a lampstand over here, and there's a table of bread. There's a table of of bread and, the, and the, the symbolism there. Remember, this is this, this place where they were worshiping. It was said that God's presence dwelled there. Right? How many of you are thankful that we have the presence of God that dwells in us today, as a tabernacle, right? as a place of worship? And so you go in there though, and 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 you you look and you see the bread, and there's twelve loaves of it, one loaf for every tribe of the people of Israel. What what's What's the message there? There's, there's fresh bread that's all, always available. It was called the bread of the presence. It's representative of the presence of God, right? And, and that's us today as, a, as tabernacles that we have access to the presence of God each and every day. You know where you find that presence? It's right across from the lampstand, right? Because his word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. When you have a steady diet of his word over here, and then you have the altar of incense right in front of you. The incense represents the, the fragrance which would fill the room. And later on in Revelation, they would call it the, the incense of the prayers of saints. You're going to find fresh bread when you have a steady diet of the Word of God and a life that is filled with the fragrance of prayer. That's where you're going to find the presence of God in fresh, fresh bread. Let's look back at our text and go just a little bit further into this bread thing. <clears throat> you guys ready to eat flesh and drink blood this morning? We'll get to that. Um, John chapter 6, verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate men in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give... For the life of the world is my flesh. 
Verse 52, so the Jews departed among themselves saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? That's a legit question, right? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you don't have any life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. And you, you like those things that Jesus says, and you just read them, and you're like, what? What did he say? Let's keep reading. Verse, verse 56, verse 55 says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Verse 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, Whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Verse 59, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. I love that last line, that last line there. John's like, oh, by the way, he said this in a church. <laughs> and there are a lot of things that Jesus did for us as examples and said for us. This is not one of them. Um, like if anybody in here decides to stand up and say, hey, if you, you want to have life, come and eat my flesh. Um, there's probably somebody in here who will cordially escort you back to the foyer. And you can have a donut and a conversation, right? This, Jesus says things like this, and it, it, it's, it's, it's almost, when you, when you think of that whole idea of Jesus being just a good moral teacher, Right? Verses like this kind of throw that out the window. Right? C.S. Lewis was right when he says, well, <clears throat> he's either a lunatic right, or he's Lord. Or he's a liar. That's right. He's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. He either, he's either crazy, he is who he said he is, right, or he's just lying. And that's where Jesus brings the people that are listening to this this morning the Jews say, how's he going to give us his flesh to eat? Now, we take these statements, right, and, and, and we, we spend our lives meditating on these statements. We spend our lives studying on these statements and, and allowing for God to, to, to ever so slowly open them up to us and reveal to them, reveal to us what he's trying to tell us through these statements. Um, but here's the thing. I would imagine that some of the people... They probably didn't even hear him right. Right? They were like, what did this guy say? What, eat, eat is what? Like, all of these things, we have the privilege of looking back on. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we, we can see how all the pieces are fitting together, right? But what was his expectation of the people? What did he expect for them to do once they heard this? Did he, did he expect for them to understand everything that he said? I don't think so. I don't think so, but I think this was his expectation. That they would follow. That they would follow. How many of Jesus' disciples do you think understood everything that he was about to do when he said, hey, come and follow me? You, zero. That's right. Hey, you, you don't have to understand everything to follow him. I got news for you. I don't understand everything. Pastor Gabe doesn't understand everything. Michael Derringer might understand everything because he's been preaching longer than I've been alive. <laughs> you understand everything? Michael says that he does not understand everything either. You don't have to understand it all 
But he does call us to follow. He does call us to follow after him. I want to put verses 48 through 59 back on the screen, but I've, I've got a few verses, I've got a few words underlined in there. I, w- I want us to notice how many, mention, how many times he mentions not only eating, but feeding. Right? This is the bread of life. One may eat of it. If anyone eats of this bread, eats flesh, feeds on my flesh. All throughout this text, it's eating, it's feeding. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we, how do we begin to eat and feed on the, breath of, on the bread of life as he invites us to in the text? And I think he gives us the answer back in 35. Verse 35, Jesus answered, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Come to him. Come to him. Follow him. Did you, know, did you notice that, that he's inviting people to come and feed on him before he ever went to the cross? Before he ever went to the cross. This, I think this needs to shape the way that we understand this word believe. Right? The invitation was for those people to follow him, become students of his. Li- live life the way that he lived. Love the way that he loved. Right? Conduct ourselves, live our lives out the way that he has called us to, following him all the way to the cross. We're we're called to be united with him both in his life and in his death. We're called to follow him. Now, as the worship team comes forward, I want to look just briefly here at the last part of his statement. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Jesus used the word life all throughout his ministry to describe that which he came to give. Jesus said, I've I've come to give life. I've come to give life abundantly. The, The New Living Translation of that verse says, my purpose, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, I believe, I believe that, that it is our tendency to take those two words, rich and satisfying, and immediately our self-seeking mind starts to go, doesn't it? Right? We start to interpret. Well, we start to in, to interpret what rich and satisfying. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? And usually, that's rooted in um, the the plans that we want to make for God. How can you, God? How how's God going to pad my pocketbook? How's he going to fill my belly? How's he going to increase my net worth? And, and I think we need to understand that in this text, just like in John 10, 10, when he says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. In this text that we're looking at, the word for life, um, it's, it's more about the life that God imparts us, right? There's two Greek words for, for life. They're, they're zoe and bios. Bios is where we get the, lo- the word biology from. This is not the word that he uses. He uses the word zoe, and this is, this is life with its divine qualities, right? It's, it's, it's more than just the physical life here upon the earth. Jesus said in our text, if you don't eat the bread of life, you have no life in you. It's obvious he's not talking about biological life. 
And yet when we read a text like that, the tendency is to think of all the things that we need for biological life. What is the promise of life? The promise of life is that we're, we're promised to find this life when we lay ours down. This is the life that God, that Jesus was promising us. He said in Matthew 10, 39, that whoever loses their life for his sake and lays it down and follows after his life, Jesus' life of self-sacrifice, will indeed find life. If you lose your, la- your life for my sake and for the gospel, you will find it, was what he said. That's where life is found. Life is found in serving. The life that he offers is found in taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to join him in what he's doing, in the story that he's writing. Here in in the context of Impact Church, what does that look like? And for some of us, it looks like getting registered for uh, next steps and uh, getting back there with our kids, right? For some of us, it may be um, uh, helping out with the youth. Uh, it, It may be being a smiling face out the door, at the front doors here as people come in. Like, God, where do I fit into your story at? Where can I, where can I follow after you, be united with you, both in your life and in your death? See, when Christ died for us, right, it was as if we had died with him, right? We had died with him. Well, then, then you're dead. So, so what does your life consist of now? I believe it's 2 Corinthians 5, says that, that he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for him. See, we are united with him in death so that we allow him to live his life through us. What would Jesus have you do this morning? What would he have you do? As, as the people that are going to pray this morning, as they come forward, I would just ask you that question. Where, does, where do you fit in? Now, where is, what, is, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning? Right, are, you, are, you, are you following? Or are you just here for the food? Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for what you continue to do here through Impact Church. Lord, we're thankful that, that you are full of grace and you are full of mercy. Lord, we're thankful that you continue to work miracles among us. God, you continue to change people's hearts. You continue to deliver people from addiction. You continue, Lord, to change people's relationships. Father, we thank, we're thankful that you, are, that you are good, that you are compassionate. Just, just like in the story that, you, saw, that you, know, you knew the people who were just in it for the food, you fed them anyway. God, I pray we would have that heart. I pray if we don't have that heart, Lord, that you would continue to, that you would form that heart in us. Just as Galatians 4 said, that Christ would be formed in us. Lord, that you would have your way in us as believers and in us as a corporate church. Father, we commit this time to you. Thankful for your word. May your name be magnified, Jesus. Amen.